from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report. I think it's going to be a good one. Um, we are counting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm Fenton Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined by, that's our chief creative officer, Tom Campbell. Hello, hello, hello. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And editor of The Wow Report, James St. James. Yay! <laughs> anybody, I wish you could have been with us a few seconds ago, because James is coming in hot. Hot, everybody. Hot. Hot. I know, exactly. I can't, I can't wait. Let's get to it. This is our 335th show, in case you were counting. <laughs> Might be the last, right? Let's start the countdown. Number 10, Tom. Number 10. I want to talk about Barbara Walters. Uh, passed away over the holidays. Uh, we haven't had a chance to talk about it. I had the great privilege, truly the great privilege, of working closely with her for about a year as she, she was developing the view and launched it on the air to become the huge success that it is today and the longevity. I just... Flashing back, by the time I met Barbara Walters, she was 67 years young. She had been on your the show. basically, is what we're saying. Say again? Your age. So basically, Yes, met she's older she than I am now. Older than all of us, thank God. Um, she had uh, started off as an intern at Today Show and, and, and left after 13 years as a co-anchor. She was the first ever female anchor person. She was humiliated uh, publicly for making a million dollars a year uh, parodied by Gilda Radner as Baba Wawa, went on to rebuild her news cred, interviewing uh, heads of state from Cuba to Russia to the Middle East, um, sort of created the, the the celebrity interview, which ended up being Barbara Walters' interviews. She talked to every A-list celebrity at the time. And, then, and she also co-hosted 2020, one of the most successful news magazines of all time. And then she met me. Um, no, <laughs> and then she came to ABC Daytime, where I was working at the time, Heard that we were looking for a new talk show because we had a couple of shows that had not, hadn't performed well. And she pitched a show called Everyone's a Critic. And it was a, she wanted to get women from different generations to sit around a table and talk about pop culture events. And the, the title changed, The View, but the, her vision for the show never did. Like every great idea, everyone, except for us at daytime, everyone at ABC wanted to talk her out of it. The news people, I think Rune Arledge was still alive, said this will be the end of your career. Um, Why was that, Tom? Why did people think it was going to be a disaster? Because there was such a huge gulf between news and entertainment, a line that we, know, we now know no longer exists. And Barbara was way ahead of her time and could do both. Um, and they just also thought that daytime was a ghetto and why do that? Barbara, I got to sit down with her in some of the first meetings. She pitched the show and I was in LA and she was in New York and I didn't hear the initial pitch. And I asked my bosses at the time, well, why does she want to do this? They're like, we don't know. We're just happy she does. So I got to sit with her and she pumped me for my knowledge. All I did was bask in the light of Barbara Walters. She <laughs> wanted to know what makes daytime work. And I gave her an answer. I can't, remember, I can't remember what I said. I can't imagine what I told Barbara Walters. Then she asked me, what makes Oprah and then what makes Rosie O'Donnell so popular? Oprah was at the height of her success. Rosie was a year into her show. She was the queen of nice cover of, and I kind of gave my response. And I realized after I started to answer that question that Barbara had invented the world and the roles that now Oprah and Ro Rosie had taken. And she wanted her piece of the pie. And she also said very unabashedly, everything at ABC News was a work for hire. She wanted to own her own show. So she co-produced The View, Bill Geddes was her producer and a brilliant man as well. And she said to me in lots of terms, she wanted it to be her retirement condo on television. She was 67. <laughs> she didn't know if she could keep going by the, as fast as she had been going. And she still wanted a place she could drop into. And I got to tell you, at 67, she was it was like competing with an intern who was going to be the president of the network someday. She had so much energy, so much vim vigor and so much experience. Um, Couple of weird, a couple of stories. One is um, everyone at the network, once um, Barbara pitched the show, wanted it to be different because that's what network people do. They, they buy a show and they want it to be different. And so they, they didn't like the idea that Barbara would be on once or twice a week. 
and that there'd be all these different women that, you know, that they couldn't get big enough stars. So I said, okay, trying to be the pleasing person to my bosses. What if we tell Barbara, she just has to be there every day and we'll surround her with the biggest women in New York that week. And they all were like, my bosses were like, go, go tell Barbara, go tell Barbara that you tell her. So I went and I told Barbara that. And without switching her face, she said, that's a great idea. That's a great show. You should do it with someone else because that's not the show I pitched you. <laughs> oh, I love that. I think the viewers like- are genius format. It's funny because I love her, but I never really loved her interviews. But I just think the view is a most of Can we amazing. talk about some of those interviews? Because there, when she, after she died, there was a million of those sort of the the faux pas interviews that she did where she asked Monica Lewinsky why she couldn't make the president come. Do you remember that one where she was saying, why didn't you bring him to ejaculation? And it was like, you asked your, like, and you know, Catherine Hepburn, what kind of, what what kind of tree would you be? You know I mean? Like there, there were some where she, she, in fairness on the tree question, uh, Catherine Hepburn had said prior to her asking that, uh, that she was a tree. And so Barbara followed up with, well, what kind of tree would you be? But it became one of the biggest memes of the 1970s and 80s. Listen, you know I mean? like- we, we were talking before this started on another topic about how hard it is to to be, to, for morals shift from decade to decade and generation to generation. Barbara Walters just happened to exist for about 50 years. So I think <laughs> some of that is, is own up to that. Some of it, she was a show woman and she knew how to get ratings. And a lot of it, I do say, because she was a great friend of gay and lesbians, um, and, and she would, but she would always ask kind of the uninformed question of trans people so they could respond with a very smart and measured response. She'd always ask kind of like, well, isn't it odd that or how strange it must be that? And so people could counter that. My other what, couple of what stories are the things that I find about her death, though, that interests yeah. me more than her life, which I know and I, I, I understand, the, you know, where she stands in history and everything like that. But there is this shift lately that when someone dies, there is this just oversaturation of going too far with with the with the flashbacks and everything like that. The minute she died, ABC interrupted its its uh its programming and had ready in locked and loaded. They had a two hour special uh, on her that, that just aired like ten seconds after she died, and it became sort of like when Queen Elizabeth died. And after about the third or fourth day, you were like, "Dear God, let her rest in peace. I don't need another recap of her." 1970 interview with you know Menachem Begin like I just don't care that sadly is a state of the media today I've stopped watching the news I've not seen one Barbara Walters uh, tribute online I I don't know how you could avoid it because literally it was wall-to-wall coverage on every single channel for 24 hours 48 hours 72 hours after she died not if you watch QVC and Turner Classic Movies exclusively then you're safe I'm telling you know I, I want to end with these two two things you don't okay. know. Barbara Walters, at age 67, had a rocking bod. She came one night to a casino night that that was filled with soap opera stars, like dealing cards and rolling dice for, for, for advertisers, for people from Prell and Charmin. And because The View was launching, Barbara said she would come to the casino night. And she came, but she was going next to like some... Um, uh, tribute to Michael Eisner and she was in the skin tight black turtleneck with this rocking bod, this bubble designer dress that James would know and I don't and she got there at 7 o'clock on Sharp and she was standing around and all the sales guys were like, hey Barbara, glad you're here and she leaned to me and she said, why am I standing here? Why aren't I meeting people? Introduce me to people immediately. Like, I'm here. Let's press, let's, let's, let's press some skin and, and make some friends. So she did all that. I also got to see her once um, in, in her news office and Hugh Downs came in. Hugh Downs was her co-anchor on 2020. And Barbara had years, he had been a big deal her whole life. And, and Barbara had, had star had eclipsed his by a lot. When he walked in that office, she stood up from what she was doing, paid total attention to him. Being a woman in the business, she knew how to be gracious, feminine, hard, relentless, all these things to all different people. There wasn't a moment she wasn't sort of navigating her way in her life and, and it was so impressive. And, uh, and the last thing I'll say is that during my time with Barbara Walsh, the end of my time at, at, at ABC Daytime, my mother uh, was very sick and passed away from cancer. And it was a beautiful handwritten note 
from Barbara Walters, very aware of what was going on. And just, again, I'm sure she's written a million of those and a million different people, but that she had the, she was of this old school uh, and was gracious and kind uh, throughout. And I just, I felt like I learned something before every moment I was with her. I have a million more stories, but I'm losing everyone, including James. So I'll stop. Rest in power, Barbara Walters. Hmm. I love that you came up with the view, Tom. I'm loving it. <laughs> Number nine, James. Number nine. Um, Glass Onion on Netflix is is now not off the theaters and on Netflix. Um, I did not like it. I think the hype was so big going into it that I had higher expectations than what it delivered. Um, I think it was hackneyed and corny. I thought the characters were annoying. The only person who came off was Janelle Monet, who is absolutely just translucent. I mean, she's translucent. She's absolutely luminous <laughs> in this. She's so beautiful. She's so fantastic. Um, Catherine, I mean, Kate Hudson has a few good lines. Catherine Hahn, who is usually so brilliant in everything, is very underutilized here. Um, the first Knives Out, if you remember, was an indictment of old money. It was about um, how silly old money can be. This is about the nouveau riche. This is the opposite of that. This is about new money. It's about one percenters. It's about um, uh, crooked politicians, social media um, influencers. Um, uh, Ed Norton is obviously playing Elon Musk. He is doing a tech billionaire who everyone thinks is brilliant, a genius, but is actually an idiot. And he invites everybody onto his island to have a murder mystery. And then uh, it actually is supposed to be a game and it turns into a real murder mystery. And it goes on and on. There are cameos. <laughs> There's some fun cameos. Angela Lansbury and Stephen Sondheim are in their last appearances ever on film. Um, Ethan Hawke, Serena Williams, Joseph Gordon-Levitt has an audio cameo where he's the bong whenever the whenever the um the clock goes off it's bong and that's joseph gordon levitt's voice um uh, natasha leone kareem abdul jabbar yo-yo mar jake tapper is in it it's all it's fun with all all these sort of um, cameos that happen interestingly though my my takeaway from all of this is that 2022 gave us three movies about obnoxious one percenters and social media influencers trapped on an island. Uh, there's Glass Onion, The Menu, and Triangle of Sadness. And you, James, have seen them all. I have seen them all, and I am here to say that Glass Onion is the least interesting and least intelligent of them. I think Triangle of Sadness is the one to watch. Okay, that I watched that last night. It was really good. It's really fantastic. It is so smart, so funny. Blake Fenton is shaking his head like, I don't even know about this. After well, okay, I've told well, him to watch it for 30, 30 days in I a row. Watched I watched it, and after two hours, Nolan turned to me and says, I really can't watch any more of this, because it definitely starts well and then goes off by the time the boat blows up we're done and it's just going oh, on, come on. by the time there's the 10 minute vomit scene didn't that pull nolan back I loved in it. i love that but then it went on too long anyway it, but, but once you get to the island and there's the woman who takes over um her name is um yeah, yeah, dolly yeah. de leon the filipino woman who is right. like the who is the legend there don't you think she deserved an oscar for that no. And I have a question for is you. Is this because which is I why told you you were going to like it when you're the, fighting me? I watched The Glass Onion and I thought it was so bad. I was like, I don't understand. All the reviews have raved about this film. Yeah. I, I was like, how, what is the, what is happening here? And then I saw an article about how movies that have done well in the theater show up on Netflix and everybody hates it. Like, I thought it was an interesting Tom's Gone. Well, an I, think there is, uh, I, I think we are seeing again how important it is to see movies in theaters to get the theatrical experience of, of the movie. There's something about I seeing it with an audience any, laughing. Because I saw Triangle of Sadness. is not going to be any better. I mean, it's just uh, well, awful. But, but I saw Triangle of Sadness in a movie theater that the audience was loving every second of it and laughing and applauding and and 
and you know cheering and standing up and everything like that whereas maybe when you see it alone with no one and you're like you're rolling your eyes because james told you to like it and you're determined you aren't going to like it just because i told you to i know how that one works i know that knee-jerk reaction that you get whenever i tell you to watch something my ability to focus is much sharper in a theater and much worse when i'm watching at home well we have oh, that's true because you're on your phone the entire time and you're getting up and you're moving and you're you're pausing and stopping and everything like that and you don't we get actually said it would be better to be to watch in the theater like last night when we were watching it it is it, it was when, when everybody is cheering and applauding that like the vomit scene and it just people are like some people are getting up and walking out because of it it was just you know it it really creates a mood <laughs> <laughs> all right that's great so we've reviewed two movies, The Glass Onion and Triangle of Sadness. And, and we're going to um, do Triangle of Sadness every week until someone <laughs> agrees with me that it's a good movie. Number eight. Number eight. A very Merida Christmas. That's right. Uh, I took the kids to an Airbnb in Merida in Yucatan uh, on the beach. Let me just say this about that. Like Airbnbs, what an amazing invention. What an amazing thing. And how great they look in the pictures. And then you get there and your beachfront mansion, yes, it is on the beach, but it is in the middle of a building site. And someone told me, they said, oh, didn't you Google Earth? Because that's what you're supposed to do if you're going to go to an Airbnb. Google Earth the environ, because this place was right in the middle of a building site. And it had been photographed in such a way that you couldn't see that the doors didn't open or close and that the exposed wiring and and that when you turn on the tap the smell of sulfur was just so overwhelming you wanted to gag so it wasn't quite as it was in the pictures but it was lovely it was lovely and we had an amazing i have to applaud you fenton because none of your none of your instagram posts gave away any of that very well done exactly. very well played exactly Airbnb look good on instagram and i wasn't going to destroy the illusion god damn it <laughs> but isn't the big problem with airbnbs is the fact that they have that cleaning fee that is like twice the, the amount of oh, this was even better this airbnb they said you can have a chef and here's a menu and you just choose the items so we're like really excited the chef was going to cook for us chose the items show up and they're like we're like well where's the first night we arrived late and it's like where's the dinner and they were like you didn't bring the food and we're like no you're the chef you was here's the menu we like we were supposed to buy the ingredients (laughs) so the chef thing didn't quite work out either but um and then you know there was this cyclone bomb over most of the united states and we were very glad to be out of that but there was a sort of storm around the periphery that came to merida for like three days of howling shrieking winds and waves whipping off the water into and floods and power cuts it was just it was just high drama it was fun quick question did you hear mariah carey's uh all i want for christmas is you more than you heard felice navidad which one did you hear more oh felice navidad for sure and it was like did you hear me burrito what (laughs) Me burrito that I talked about last night. Oh, me I burrito. didn't hear me burrito. That's that's true. I didn't hear me burrito. <laughs> well, I tell you what we did do. We went to um, we went to some ruins, and we also went to this thing called a cenote or a cenote. I don't know how you pronounce it, but basically it's a sinkhole, and there are these dotted all over. They're unique to the Yucatan, and they're dotted all over the place. And you drive up, and it doesn't look like anything other than a hole in the ground. But then this beautiful freshwater pond lake sort of really deep too they're like you know maybe like 60 feet underground and then um the water's crystal clear and it goes really deep it goes so deep that you can go scuba diving but you know kids like to go and jump off it was absolutely gorgeous so um that's that's uh, my re- oh and trey of course has moved down to merida so he has a place there. So we saw him on Christmas Eve. So it was, it's really, there's a huge sort of expat community there too. And it's um, really lovely. Would you ever consider retiring in Mexico? I don't think so. I got the most appalling, um, I avoided, I didn't drink the water and uh, everything was great. And then the day we had to fly back, I woke up at like 2 a.m. And I was like, 
made a mad dash. And I was clenching my buttocks all the way from the Yucatan back home um, and rushing into the loose at the airport and what have you. Too much information, oh my God. right? Speaking uh, of burritos. <laughs> so, uh, James, you don't seem interested at all in going to Mendoza. No, no, no. In fact, I am fascinated by the ruins and by the by the um, the pyramids and all that stuff. I think that's all. I would love to go and take. Uh, a vacation in Mexico and just do those old Rococo churches, those Baroque, those fantastic churches that they have in the cathedrals. Mm. That would be a, a dream of mine to do the ruins and cathedrals of Mexico. I think that's all fascinating. Why did, I, I guess, you know, from the Egyptian pyramids to the pyramids in um, Angkor Wat and the Mayan ruins and the Aztec, like, what gave everybody the idea to build pyramids? Well, the aliens, of course. Don't you watch Ancient Aliens? It's my favorite like TV you, show on television. Sort of like, I mean, I, I because they're so. power stations. We know that they're power stations, and that's how the UFOs got onto and off of the planet was by having these, you know, yeah. It, it, giant magnetic and electronic uh, uh, gatherers that, the, that they use. So we have glass onions, and they had stone pyramids. The nice way to tie it all up. Now, all right, all right, we're right. moving okay. on. James, what kind of tree are you? <laughs> well, I couldn't make the president come. That was my that was my biggest problem in the 1990s. I tried, tried, and I tried. Maybe not the president of the United States, but I bet the president of like of the of the, of the Rotary Club Elf Lodge or something. The Elf yeah. Lodge, yes. <laughs> Let's take a break. Today is Premiere Day, Season 15, RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, on Wow Presents Plus worldwide, excluding U.S., Canada, Australia, and in the U.S. for the first time on MTV. Double episode, limited commercials, Ariana Grande. Woo! Oh, fantastic. We'll be right after the break, carrying on our countdown of the things that made us go wow this week. But Blake, first you have a question for us. Oh, sure yeah. I do. Sure. Who just found out they are direct descendant of Pocahontas and John Rolfe on PBS's Finding Your Roots, which just premiered? We really will be back after the break with the answer. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James. And Blake, with a question. Yes. Who just found out they are a direct descendant of Pocahontas and John Rolfe on the ninth season premiere of PBS's Finding Your Roots? Well, I'll give you a hint, everyone. I just spoke about them in the last segment. You did. Yeah. That's why I asked this question. Uh-huh. It's, it's Ed Norton. But, you know, the thing is about that is that by the time you get to your great, 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 great grandmother, you have 17,000 uh, possibilities in there. So the chances that you're, you're related to someone famous is like one in 17, you know, is 17,000, you know. So I think you're just jealous. I think you're jealous. Well, I, I think I'm probably related to Pocahontas if I go back far enough, you know. I know, I was are. thinking that too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting down the top 10 things that made us go, wow, we've reached number seven, Tom. Number seven. Speaking of feeling old, I watched the uh, induction, the concert for the uh, induction of this past year's how, uh, Hall of Fame, Rock Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. There I said it. Um, and I thought of you guys a lot. I watched this when I was home with my brother and sister, but it was just a lot of the artists that have sort of definitional for me. And I think for us, the first for me, maybe more than you guys, but I, Pat Benatar and her husband, Neil Giraldo were indoctrinated and they performed, they looked older, but sexy. And he especially was really hot. He's so one. He's so, I had such a crush on him growing up. He's so hot. Yeah. And, and I, 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 you know, there was so much heavy metal played when I was in high school and I was a teen and I was listening to the Captain Tanea and Olivia Newton-John and Pat Benatar kind of helped beard me a little bit because I could, I love female vocalists and I love me some Pat Benatar so I could play her like on my boom box coming home from track meetings on the bus and I, and I could, I could pass this straight one more day. So thank you, Pat. 
Um, also, uh, uh, another reunion, Eurythmics were indoctrinated into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Annie Lennox, they're both amazing, but Annie Lennox is just out of this world. She performed and she was crazy. And you think about all the talk, all the talk now of the non-binary and it's just, it was so it's, it's present in every generation. Right. And, and they personified it. Um, supposedly she lives in West Hollywood, not too far from me. She's been seen at Joey's cafe. So really? if you think you see Annie Lennox in West Hollywood's Joey's cafe, it might be her. She was um, stylish and glamorous. What does she wear? What was she looking like? She, I just remember she's very plain now, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't overdo it. And, and, uh, but her, just her performance is amazing. Her voice is amazing. Um, Duran Duran, who you guys love, who I still don't, I do not get into their music. Hate them. Can't stand them. Really? Really changed my life. Changed my life when I was 14. Take it from someone um, who cannot sing. I just don't think the lead singer of Duran Duran can sing. He's always sort of shouting. But it was it was about it was about pretty boys yeah. in Versace outfits wearing makeup, and it was all about the you know the videos where they were on you know in Rio, MTV. Pat Benatar, Eurythmics, right? They're yeah, it, it was it was a, it was a moment in time where it was like for somebody stuck in Saginaw, Michigan, to see those videos of them traipsing about you know like imagine james like he loves wonder he loved one direction and stuff back in the day imagine them in drag true and yeah yeah exactly and it's funny because you know we all you picked your your whether you were a nick person a john person and looking back now roger was the hot one i'm just saying that i didn't realize at the time how hot roger was but now Roger was the, the the pick of the crop. Well, thank God you were able to set the record straight here at the Wow Report. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> yeah. Other names, and I won't go with them all. Carly Simon, Lionel Richie, Rock. Well, okay. Um, Judas Priest, and the lead singer whose name I forget said, "Oh, by the way, I'm the gay one," which I love. Rob Rob, Rob Halpern. What is yes, his name? Because it right. feels a Rob little Halpern. heterosexual. The Rock and Roll oh. Hall of Fame feels they try very hard to be inclusive, but it feels a little. Uh, and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, who did define the Janet sound and just the sound of the mid '80s. Did I say Eminem Eminem already? He, he was there, and and there were others, um, including the first ever lawyer, Alan Grubman, was associated. So that's a bad thing. But last but not least, and another woman that I had the great privilege of working with for a brief time in the '80s, Dolly Parton was fine. Was you know, and there was the controversy because at first she was on the short list. She said, "Please, I'm not rock and roll. Don't do it." Well, she showed up, and she is the only performer who wrote an original song for uh, the the thing. And she sat up there and she sang like basically how she's rock and roll, and she names all she dropped names all these rock and rollers, just sweet as pie. And the the, the um, delivery was very kind of hillbilly, but you know someone else could record that song and make it fantastic. And and then there was an incredible array of women. Uh, of rock and rollers from all ages and all times singing Jolene. And that was really uh, hair tangling because that is just the well, best. Interestingly, song ever you know, over the New Year's, she was with Miley Cyrus on Miley's Rock and New Year's yes. Eve. And they rocked out together. I mean, Dolly can do it all. Dolly can do rock and roll as well as anyone. Anyway. When she when she was with Miley, you couldn't tell who was the younger and who was the older. They she is ageless. No, she's everywhere and in the best way. And I know you you know you'd mentioned her Christmas special was a little corny, but she can swing from there to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes. You know, God bless Dolly. God bless Dolly Parton yeah. and all the inductees to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, right, it's interesting because was- you talk. I'm sorry, but you talk about in high school what Pat Benatar meant to you. And I remember in high school, it was the girls. I've said this before. You were either a Belinda Carlisle or you were a Pat Benatar. And there was no, it was like, <laughs> like everyone looked like either one or the other when I was growing up. I, I love, love that. that. That is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame streaming on HBO Max. Number six, James. Number six. Number six, I watched a movie that you might not have heard of. It was filmed in 2021, and it just came out now on streaming. It's called Benediction. It's on Netflix, Hulu, Apple TV. I think it might be on HBO Max as well. It is a biopic of um, the World War One era poet who was a gay man named Siegfried Sassoon. I don't know. He was one of the bright young things in the 1920s with Cecil Beaton and that whole crowd. Um, this 
he wrote this these haunting and um, harrowing poems about life in the trenches in World War One, and you forget that World War One nobody had ever seen anything like it before. It was the first time there were tanks. It was the first time there were planes. It was the first time there were aerial bombs and grenades. And that horror of the life in the trench was something that destroyed a whole generation. Millions of boys didn't come home in England and France and Germany. You know, it, it really affected. And it was sort of the reason why the 20s took off the way they did. It was a, it was a reaction to the horror. Everyone was dancing and trying their hardest to forget the horrors of the Spanish you know, flu and uh, World War One. So anyway, this is weird because it it goes back and forth and it has it he reads his poetry over this sort of crackly black and white footage from World War One in the trenches of of bombs and you know tanks and you have these rotting corpses, real pictures of rotting corpses and men being mangled, you know, men with their faces blown off and everything, and the poetry, and then it flashes back and forth to um, his life in uh, the 1920s where he's this sort of the bright young things and he's in his tuxedo and he's with Cecil Beaton and he's having an affair with Ivor Novello, who was a, a big queen at the time, who was a dance hall singer songwriter. He was very famous in silent movies. And then he goes and they, he's very bitchy and very catty queens back and forth. And the dialogue is crackling and everything like that. And he has another affair with Stephen Tennant, who was a giant um, a figure, a towering figure in society in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. And then it also then switches into the 1970s, where he's an old man now played by Peter Capaldi, who is um, a Doctor Who. And he's this bitter old queen who has been largely forgotten. His poetry is forgotten. And he's been, he's married now, and he has a child. And he's um, given up his, his gay lifestyle, and he's just very bitter about being forgotten. And he takes it out on his wife and his son. And his, So it goes from this harrowing war scenes to the crackling 1920s gay bitchiness scenes to, like, this life as a has-been. And it switches back and forth. Jeremy um, Irvine plays Ivor Novello. He's very hot. Um, everybody is really fantastic in it, but it's this uneven movie is beautifully done. It's beautifully photographed. It's beautifully, the cinematography is fantastic. The dialogue is crackling in the 1920s. It's fascinating. Um, I, I don't know if anyone else but me could watch three hours of this. I know uh, what's the point of the story. Like it just was well, Siegfried Sassoon is somebody who has been lost to history, but whose poetry deserves to be rediscovered again because it is some of the most beautiful poetry ever written up there with like Lord Byron and Shakespeare. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. And his place in um as one of the bright young things, which is per- perpetually, you know, interesting to certain people, the, that sort of Cecil Beaton crowd. Except poems I can see movies is about already... poets isn't what? a big genre of like, oh my god, this is going to be a massive movie. It's a, I mean, I haven't seen a movie about T. S. Eliot or, I mean, my god, like, but, but are you saying so there should be a movie about T. S. Eliot because that that bores you? Are you saying that the, these biopics shouldn't exist because I you don't care about? Poetry? I'm not saying that. I'm just. Wondering well, this is what it sounds like what you were just saying. It sort of sounds like you're doing one of your knee-jerk reactions to my uh, things again. Like the minute I say it's interesting, you say poetry is boring. Poetry is dead. We shouldn't have movies about poets. I just name another movie about a poet that really blew you away. What about Warren? What about like uh, uh, Shakespeare in Love? There uh, you go. Hated it. <laughs> Did you love it, James? I mean, that's is it? I a, did. I thought it was oh, fascinating. Okay. Of course, I have I have a soft spot for queen for those for those bright young things and the queens. I think that James mm. uh, Edith Sitwell. I think Cecil Beaton, Stephen Tennant, Nancy. Uh, um, you know, I, I think all of them are fascinating. Uh, they, um, they, it, they were the club kids of the 1920s. How could you not like that? They were right. the ones. Well, I do. They were the, they were they they were the boy Georges of the 1920s. They were the men were wearing makeup and dresses, and they were the ones changing the world back then. Okay, I promise you, we'll return to this. All right, I money, success, fame, you know, glamour. Exactly, money, success, they fame, were the glamour. Michael Aligs of the 1920s. <laughs> oh, all right, moving on to number five. Number five. 
Um, I just want to wrap up a little bit about uh, Mexico. <laughs> so, speaking of feeling old, um, where we were staying in Mexico over Christmas was where 65 million years ago, the meteor that wiped out the dinosaurs landed. We were literally right there in Chicxulub. And so we did a little bit of culture. Um, we went to the, um, um, the Museum of the Meteor, and we also went to the Sendoro Jurassico, which is like this fabulous outdoor park with giant replicas of dinosaurs all around. And the amazing thing is it doesn't open till five o'clock. So you go in at five o'clock as the sun is setting and you get this fabulous sunset with all these like giant dinosaurs and T-Rexes around. And they, there's a lake also. It's, it's very flat around there. And there's a lake and they put like giant skeletons of Diplodocuses and Brontosauruses sticking out of the water. It's very dramatic. Is El Elliot in his dinosaur phase? Yes, he loved it. Love Absolutely that? loved yeah. it. Now, of course, I was I was expecting to see some sort of evidence of this crater, but I guess, you know, it was 65 million years ago. And this meteorite, it was like something like six miles wide and created a, a crater that was like 110 miles wide and 12 miles deep. But there is actually a connection here because the, the swimming holes I mentioned, the cenotes or the sinkholes, they were actually created... So the meteorite hits, goes 12 miles deep, throws all this shit up into the air, which then rains down and created these holes in the ground. And, and I didn't know this, but all these sinkholes link in a semicircle because half oh, of the okay. meteor was on yeah. land and half oh, was wow. in the sea. So there is this sort of trace element. And these things that you're swimming around in are 65 million-year-old created by the meteorite. Isn't that amazing? I'm just imagining having a job that starts at 5 p.m. Is that wrong? Right? <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing. I love how you full circled it. But what are, yeah, how cool. <laughs> right. It's amazing. Did you get, we went once in Connecticut, they had discovered, a, a construction site had discovered uh, dinosaur bones. So you could go and they had cast them. So you could go and make a plaster of Paris of a dinosaur foot, and then you would paint it and bring it to school for every show and tell until you dropped it broken. That's fun. Dinosaurs. I tell you, the dinosaurs, they just discovered recently that they were feathered, right? And when you look at birds, you know, the chicken is, is the modern survivor of dinosaurs. Do you know that? Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I, I, it leaves me sort of gobsmacked. I don't really have mind-bending insights, but they were just really well, you big. you wonder if, if when we have time machines, if going back to the dinosaurs, what you would actually see, what they would sound like, what they would actually, you know, the, right. it, it is just like it's, you say the feathers and the colors are all off that what we think, we thought they were all green and slimy, but they aren't. Well, maybe T-Rex was a drag queen and that's why he has such little arms. So he just death drop. Boom. <laughs> feathers, boom. I love uh -huh. that. I love that. Uh, so we're really eating like dinosaur meat all the time. Right. Which and it's delicious. Tastes like chicken. All right. Let's take a break. Blake, have you got a question for us? I do. Talking of uh, snacks, what is a single strand of spaghetti called? A teasing, provocative question. We'll have the answer right Ooh. after the break. Here on the Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. It's Benson here with James and Tom and Blake. And a very teasing question, Blake. Yes. What is a single strand of spaghetti called? And I got this from the Today Show. They posted like 150 silly trivia questions. So you know it's true. Would it be spaghetto or spaghetti spaghettum? It is spaghetto. Oh. <laughs> well, it then raviolios is is a real word. Then raviolios, spaghetto. It's all the That's O's. hysterical. Well done, Jerry. James. We're counting down the top ten things that made us go. Wow, we've reached number four. Number four. 
Speaking of uh, growing old, I have another rest in peace this week, and it is for Anita Pointer of the underrated famous Pointer Sisters. I they were clients of Gallimore when I worked there, as was Dolly Parton, and I, I got to see them perform so many times live, and it was a brilliant. My only personal interaction was they were famous because they were sisters and they worked together. And Ruth, uh, Anita, and Baby June were together. Bonnie was out of the group by the time I was there. And they came to see their manager, Jim Mori of Gallimore Associates, and they came stomping through the office by my desk into Jim Mori. Actually, they were like, hello, hello, hello. They're kind of, the door closed. And there was like a half hour of four of three women screaming at the top of their lungs. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't make out words. A few, a few choice words you could. There was something. Then it, after, I swear to God, it was a half hour screaming. And then door opened and they they paddled out. I don't know what they talked about. I don't know what they negotiated. I know that Jim Mori, <laughs> God rest his soul, was a very special um, uh, pasty white that day, especially white that day. All, no blood in his head whatsoever. But the music they made, I don't know what you guys think, but you know they started off kind of as a 40s swing band in the early 70s. And Anita was really the voice of the group through their early hits. Um, Bet you got a chick on the side. Sure, you got a chick. I know you got a chick on the side. And also, um, I know we can make it. Yes, we can, can. I know we can, can. Hell um, yeah. They had a bunch of one, num- uh, number one hits and hit singles during the 70s, um, like He's So Shy, uh, um, 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 Slow Hand. Oh, uh, yeah. Fever. Oh, you know, okay. most of the things. And until they hooked up with Richard Perry, who's a mythical record producer, did Carly Simon, so many others, he uh, put an album together with them called Breakout. And that's, that, they, they shared the, vo- the lead vocals on that. And it started off with a single called Automatic with Ruth. No way to control it. It's totally automatic. Followed by June Pointer, Baby June, her soulful solo singing Jump which happened to coincide with the 84 Olympics. And it was like, it was all this Olympic footage on MTV. Wait, I thought that Jump was on the Footloose soundtrack. What was, nope. what was the one? No. That was, okay. They weren't on that. They weren't on that. Oh, and, then, and then they repressed the album and put on a song that had been a hit, but not a huge hit, which had master second time called I'm So Excited with Anita Pointer ah. doing the thing. And I'm So Excited was the song used in every movie trailer about an upbeat movie for about 15 years. Yeah. It'd be yeah. Like, you know, what happens when this happens and this happens? Bump, 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 bump. I'm so excited. Ooh-wee. Um, and it's the song that um, Jessie Spano danced to when she, oh, like, had too many caffeine. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Oh, and she says, she starts crying and she says, I'm so I'm excited when they're trying. I'm when they so give her the, scared. Yeah. I'm so scared when she was addicted to um, uh, uh, uppers. And yeah. on that same album, they had uh, the hit from uh, 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 Beverly Hills Cop, uh, Neutron Dance, which well, was a huge it's hit. It's interesting. You mention all these songs, and they're all huge, huge songs, and I remember them so well. But it sort of seems like they got relegated to the dustbin of history a little bit because they aren't replayed or remembered is in the same breath as some of the other you know, which is nuts. In, in 1984, I moved. It was my first summer in LA. I was looking for a job. I was driving everywhere in a way that felt so alien because it's LA and you're driving everywhere. You don't know where you're going. And the Pointer Sisters, I'm so excited, was playing on every radio station. So was Prince's When Doves Cry. And I used to drive so fast. And I thought if I died while listening to a Pointer Sister song, I would be fine. But we had Anita and Ruth after June's un- unfortunate passing. They were guests on RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, so we got to meet them and 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 bow down to them and uh, just again you're right they, it, with all this talk of the best singers of all time in Rolling Stone which everyone's yeah. complaining wasn't on or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame which has Dolly Parton Lionel Richie whatever it's like it, all these lists don't mean anything it's 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 there's so much talent it does sort of feel sad that they that there needs to be a, a, a Pointer Sisters you know revival I think because they what? did contribute so much. That yes. album was so epic, but did did yes. they have any hits after that? It was like a sort of. It's a, funny a, because I I I used to roll. I worked for the management company, and I would roll Diet Coke was a sponsor of theirs. They had Diet Coke commercial, and I would roll Diet Coke uh, towels and CDs and put them in FedEx packages to send them to DJs so that people would play their songs. They had uh, Dare Me. They had like two or three more or four more albums with RCA. None had huge hits. There's some great music there, but music had kind of moved on. 
They've been around for a while. But Sandy Gallen of Gallimore Associates, what he did is he put together an act for them. And these women, I was told by the record producer when I was – someone who worked for Richard Perry when I first moved out here, that they were known to be party girls. And one of them would put a mattress – I think Baby June would put a mattress in her garage. So when she came home, she'd know when to stop her car when it hit the wall. Um, so, but, but, but Sandy put together this killer love, Oh my God. That is the funniest detail I've heard in ages. It's so good. Boom. But I hit the, when I hit the wall, I know it's okay. Put a mattress there. Don't stop drinking. Just put a mattress. But they had a Vegas act that made them millions. I, I, I'd like to think that they were comfortable with the rest of their lives. Um, and, and the difference that a good manager can do. And Sandy Gallen, who managed Dolly Parton, who managed so many of the big people, also managed the Pointer Sisters. See, James, I'd like to see a movie about Sandy Gallen. Yeah. You know what I call it? Tell Them This, which is another story we'll say for another time. <laughs> Benson knows it. But, but he would often, he would reframe, there'd be a problem. He would reframe it all by saying, tell them this. And I, we'll get into that story another time. All right. Okay. Let's move on then. Number three, James. Number three. Saturday Night at the Baths which sounds like a confession. It sounds like I'm about to tell you what I did over the weekend, but it is not. It is a forgotten gay movie from 1974. Now, I thought that I had known all of the gay movies of that period. You know, Boys in the Band, um, Making Love. Uh, We talked about Funeral Parade of Roses, which I discovered a few weeks ago. The Japanese set in the Japanese drag club, 1970s. The Ritz Cruising, Dog Day Afternoon, Cabaret, Staircase, Gay Deceivers. All of those movies happened in the 1970s, but I had never heard of this. And this movie is set in the Continental Baths. The owner of the Continental Baths produced the movie. It is, so it is set in the baths. It's The extras are actual bath customers, okay? They, they paid 800 of the of the customers $1 a piece to be in the movies. You see them wandering around in their towels in the background the entire movie, and they have those 70s bods. You forget how awful 70s gay bodies were. Skinny, skinny. Skinny, gay, white, white, white with hair everywhere and hairy backs and all that stuff and so it's these it's the gays and um it uh it stars um a guy named robert aberdeen who is still working and interestingly the story is he's a piano player who is a straight piano player who was hired to come into the baths and be the backup piano player for a diva who is breaking out big time. And she's this fabulous woman played by Jane Orville. And she performs in front of the men in their towels while they're having sex. And over the course of the movie, he's straight. He has this girlfriend and he befriends the manager. And then he and the manager and the girlfriend start to have a threesome and then they don't. And then by the end, he kicks the girlfriend out and he's having sex with the man. So and, it's sort of the Bette Midler, Barry Manilow story. Well, it's very much the Barry Manilow story because wasn't Barry married, I think, at the time in, in the early 70s? Something sure. like that. I'm not probably sure. Right. But right. it very much it t- sounds like the Barry Manilow story. Um, it's um, it's really – it's it, the movie is crap. The the writing is crap. The, the story the, – it, it looks like it was shot in a potato by you – know, I mean, it, it looks like – it was just like everything about it is is muddy. It's but it's grainy. The like I said, the acting is terrible. The the plot goes nowhere. But the fact that you are actually watching the Continental Baths, you are seeing it is this um, remarkable piece of history that has just been lost. But where did you see it? How did you find it? It, well, I was just uh, Amazon Prime. I was on Amazon Prime, and they suggested it to me. They said, because, <laughs> <laughs> no, but they said because you watched Funeral Parade of Roses, the seventies Japanese, you know, movie set. That they suggested this to me, and I, like I said, I'd never heard of it. I didn't know what to expect watching it, and I was just fascinated watching the shenanigans at the Continental. Bank. You never see it. You've never seen well, what really. Coming up on number uh, season three of Night Fever, I'm just editing Man Parish, and there's a story. Yes, yes he was there when he was 14. He talks about being at the Continental Baths and seeing Bette Midler there. So it so is. It's just. It's a fascinating document of 1974 gay gay life that I don't think you've ever seen before. 
you you, you uncovered some dinosaur remains of your own this week. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so Saturday night, Saturday night at the baths on Amazon Prime. Check it All out. All right. All right. Moving on. Number two. Number two. I'm reading a book. It's called The Secret Historian. And it was actually published in 2010. So it's not a new book at all. And it is about Samuel Stewart, the life of Samuel Stewart. Now, James, have you ever heard of Samuel Stewart? Well, is he the, the guy who does the... No, oh, no, I guess I haven't. Tell me. <laughs> he knows not to even ask me. <laughs> no, um, it's by Justin Spring. And Samuel Stewart lived in the 40s and 50s. He's kind of like a pre-Stonewall era guy. He... Um, Grew up in the Midwest, gay, became a professor, didn't like that life, became a tattoo artist, um, didn't really like that life as Doc Sparrow. Then he became a gay pulp writer called Phil Andros and has written mm. lots and lots of sort of potboilery novels, pulp, gay pulp novels. But he led this amazing life. And totally gay, never heard of him in my life. But the reason I discovered this was, I don't know, you're just going through the internet. John Kelly, you know, who does Joni Mitchell, the queen who does Joni Mitchell, his latest show is all about the life of this guy, Samuel Stewart. And, in the, and I was like, oh, that seems interesting. And the thing that really got my attention is that when he was a teenager, Rudolph Valentino went to his hometown like somewhere stopping in from the way back from Chicago was in his hometown. He somehow found out because he is obsessed with movie stars as 18 year olds, gay boys will be. He went to Rudolph Valentino's hotel to get his signature. Rudolph Valentino opened the door in a towel, signed it and said, I'm really rather busy. Is there anything else you want? And Samuel Stewart, 18 years old said, yes, I want you. And with that Rudolph Valentino pulled him into the room and the reason we know this story is that Samuel Stewart would collect, would snip off some of their pubic hair, and he collected all these pieces of people's pubic hair and put them in little little envelopes and with names. And then he met Alfred Kinsey. So he was like the original Cynthia Plastercaster. Yes, I guess he kind of was. He was one of these like gay people Groupies. who was not only very sexually active, but also a documentarian, like in terms of snipping the pubes, but he also kept this thing called a stud file and every person he had sex with, he kept on a, an index card. And he met Alfred Kinsey, who was doing the Kinsey Report and became this unofficial collaborator and gave him all this information. He was this very brilliant guy. He was a writer. He never really had success. He was Gertrude Stein's best friend and Alice B. Toklas. And... He'd go off to France to, to pursue Jean Genet and had all these sort of wild adventures and had these multiple different lives. And it, I, the reason why I'm telling you this, I suppose, it, it's amazing to me, is that we sort of think, you know, that gay life begins with Stonewall. Well, obviously it doesn't. And... And what's so amazing, like, you know, this guy had 80 boxes. The, the, the author of this book found 80 boxes of papers and stuff. And it's sort of almost like sort of a pyramid or an archaeological dig of all these lives and this sort of history that just disappears and is often destroyed by loved ones or relatives or destroyed by them. And, and so for this to survive is so rare and remarkable. And then you realize in reading it, Oh my God! There's like countless people like this, what, like Siegfried Sassoon. Exactly, James. I'm trying to get work my way around to paying tribute to you and saying you were so right about it all along. And spoiler alert: I bought you a copy of the book for Christmas. So <laughs> okay, now oh, you'll have fascinating. To read it. Well, no, because like you, you say, like you know, you talk about these forgotten p figures, these towering figures of gay society that that have gotten lost. And they are, you know, like when you talk about friends with, you know, Jean Genet and Gertrude Stein, it is sort of the same thing as the, they were, you know, the same kind of iconoclasts and catalysts for so much of, of gay culture. 
and we shouldn't forget them. And these biographies are good things. And I, I sort of can put that together with, with Siegfried, you know, I mean, I, yeah. I, I think that the twenties and the forties and the sixty, I mean, it all gets lost if we don't document them. And, and here's somebody who documented um, uh, so much of gay culture. And I think it's just fascinating. It also made me think, and I've got to be very careful where I say this, it made me think that in some ways the gay identity, the modern gay identity, has sort of problematized gayness in the sense that you get the impression of reading the story about Samuel Stewart that he could just have sex with anybody. It wasn't really a question of, there wasn't this divide of whether you were gay or not. People were just horny and looking to get it on, and they seemed to get it on so abundantly and so well do you think that that has something to do with the fact that we've we're over labeling things and we have you know with the pronouns and the this and the that and you're you're bi you're transgender over identifying we're we're over identifying and people are saying well i am not that whereas opposed to if you didn't have all those labels every nobody could say i'm this or that and everyone part of gender roles the the binary and men and women is really kind of a marketing uh ploy you know what i'm saying it's like be masculine like this be feminine like this it's it's creating targets to sell to Instead and exactly. Of- and it's creating targets for people to say, I am not that. Whereas right. opposed to if you didn't have all those labels, then people just were out there having sex and just it didn't even matter who it was. And we have a lot more similarities and differences. Yeah, well, that, 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 that was definitely the sort of the sense of the takeaway of it. And uh, I also didn't know. That, I mean, I love the Kinsey report. Like I remember reading it as a kid myself and. <laughs> but I didn't know that Kinsey, who was married, because there's been a film made about Kinsey, right? I, uh, and his work. But he he was so obsessed with this guy, Samuel Stewart, that he actually filmed him having an S&M session with this domination guy that he brought in from New York. And they filmed it over a weekend. And like, I was like, oh, my God, sort of academic research. So this is a lot more fun than... Like, well, it was, was also like, James Bennett's sad card. So that's nice. Like- I remember in the 80s, there was the Height Report. Do you remember that? Sherry Height yes. did sort of something like yes. with Kinsey. And I was obsessed with that, too. I That was like my porn. That was like how I learned about certain sex acts and things. And everything I know is from Clay Girl Magazine. So, yeah, well, wow. don't get me started on that. Yes. All right. Let's take a quick break. One more break. Uh, I will tell you that House of Love is the exclusive drink of RuPaul's Drag Race just in time for your season 15 viewing parties. Four delicious cocktails, two mouth-watering mocktails. You can order viewing party packs, the All-Star, the Squirrel Friend, Variety Box, and of course, the Hall of Fame. Just go to houseoflovecocktails.com and subscribe to the newsletter for discounts and deals. Yay! When we come back, and as a reminder, you can watch this show on YouTube channel while presents every week for extra content that was cut from the show for time. So please, if you if you are listening to us on Radio Andy Sirius XM, check us out on YouTube. While and if you want to see, yeah, and you want to see James's fabulous new robe, my oh yes, my my Keith Herring robe, yes, that is fabulous. Did you get that for Christmas? I did. It's the warmest robe I've ever had. It's absolutely fantastic. Maybe you'll take it off when we come back in the final part. Maybe I'll go to the bathroom and you can watch. (laughs) Listening to The Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to The Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James and Tom and Blake. We've been counting down the top 10 things this week that made us go wow and we've reached number one number one um a postcard to uh james and to blake because uh fent and i are actually in the uk this week and you guys are both in la and we are here for rupaul's drag con uk um and it's starting today, Friday. It is Saturday and Sunday. If you're in and around the XL London, come on down. It's going to be cram-packed with queens from all over the world. And the reason I know that is because I arrived at the hotel yesterday, late last night, and literally there was like 
30 or 40 people outside smoking. And like, it's just not like that in the UK. And I'm like, what's going on? And I go through and everyone seemed very kind of, I don't know, it seemed very cruisy and gay and outrageous. And the ladies were tall. And then the elevator was full of people with like takeout food and, and buns and then and, and accents. of, And then I realized this is one of the hotels that all the Queens are staying in. And it was a scene. Drag con will have a lot to prove to be better than walking through the lobby of this hotel. What was your experience arriving, Fenton? Um, I arrived a few hours ago and I got out of the car and, and right there was Nikki Doll, host of Drag Race France, having a cigarette. And then I walk inside to check in and right there coming out of the gym is Pangina, host of <laughs> Drag Race Thailand. So I was like, <laughs> by the time I got to my, the uh, elevator, I was wildly overstimulated. And I'm nervous. There are so many queens now because some of them have talent, like queen badges on today. And I'm like, oh, my God, are they the queen? Are they with the queen or are they the queen? I don't recognize them in this bad lighting. So I've worn my mask and and tried to be very uh, low key as possible. But I'm really looking forward to DragCon UK and what uh, you and Rue have uh, unleashed onto the world as as they all come together in London, England. Yes, if you're listening to this in the States, uh, just hop on a plane and come on down to the XL for yeah. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Tickets at RuPaul's check our social media, Com. World of Wonder social media and the uh, RuPaul's DragCon social media will be a buzz. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you can't be there in person, come along. You guys have fun. Um, I have one question. Is it sunny over there? Because we have like London weather here. I, I hear it's raining uh, horizontally in Los Angeles right now. It is terrifying out there. Yeah. I just hope my, my pussies don't get wet. I know. I'm afraid my, usually if the, if the wind goes over 10 miles an hour, I lose power in my apartment and I'm terrified that any minute now, everything is going to go black. <laughs> it's really James, raining. If you can handle, if you can handle some kitty cats, you're always welcome to uh, crash at my place. <laughs> All right, thanks for tuning in to The Wow Report on Radio Andy, Sirius XM. You can catch previous episodes on our YouTube channel, Wow Presents. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, James. Thank you, Blake. And thank you for listening. Same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go wow. Wow! Wow!